commandments together. We've uh, looked at the first commandment, second commandment, spent three Sundays on the second commandment. I, I only want to spend one Sunday this morning on the third commandment. We're going to pull them all up here in just a minute so that we can review them. Uh, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll start in on the fourth commandment. Fourth commandment, several people have already asked me, yeah, what are you going to do with the fourth commandment? Well, we're going to study it together. And I'll probably spend five or six weeks on it just because there's so many controversies, so many questions out there of how to do the Sabbath day uh, appropriately without being legalistic. How do, how do we understand that command as, as a command where Christ really is the Lord of the Sabbath and gives us grace? So I want to spend enough time on that command so that you understand it and can, uh, can see all the benefits and beauty that it brings us. All right, do we have this slide? All right, here it comes. Before we, before we look at Exodus 20, verse 7 this morning, let's, let's take one minute to review, then the slide's going away, okay? So this is your chance to put it, put it between your ears, your image, and then we're going to say it by memory. All right, let's go through. Number one, have no other gods. Make no idols. Speak well of God and for God. Keep the Sabbath day special. Honor father and mother. Commit no murder. Commit no stealing. Commit no stealing. I'm sorry, my fault. <laughs> Go back to number six. Commit no murder. Commit no, commit no stealing. Tell no lies against our neighbor. Do not covet. All right, we've got it. I'm not sure I do, but we've got it, right? Let's try it now without out the words up there so that we're looking at them. Number one, I've got them right here, cheat. Number one, have no... Other gods. Two, make no idols. Three, that's the one we're looking at this morning. Three, number four, keep the Sabbath day special. Five, honor father and mother. Six, commit no murder. Commit no adultery. Commit no stealing. Tell no lies against our neighbor. Do not covet. Good. Keep, uh, you put these on your refrigerator or somewhere. Keep looking at them. I put them on my, uh, speedometer in front of me, you know, that way, you know, I didn't have to look at the speed I was going, I looked at the Ten Commandments, um, but uh, it didn't do too good, I, I didn't get them all this morning anyway. Hope you're starting to, to get them and can use them as a grid whenever you're asking a question, how do I love my God? These Ten Commandments come up, and this is our love language, back to God, we keep these commands, not to earn salvation, not to get to heaven, this is what pleases him. This is what we do to, to have a great relationship with God. This morning, let's look together at Exodus 3, excuse me, 20, third commandment, verse 7. So Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Um, what do we do with this command? This is not one I ever hear typically come up in conversation. I don't know if anybody else is bothered by our vulgar culture. I feel like sometimes I'm the only one. Uh, this command, no matter what else we do with it, makes one thing clear. Here's the principle of the third commandment. The principle is all speech is not permissible right? We live in a culture that thinks you can say whatever you want. I got freedom of speech. All speech is not 
permissible. God says, do not speak in such a manner as to take my name in vain. That would not please me. It would not be permissible. It's not where I want you to go. So that's one principle we can easily get from this text that should distinguish us from non-believers. It should distinguish us from those people who are not seeking to speak in such a manner as to please our God. Some speech is sin. Some speech is clearly irreverent. All speech is not permissible. Why don't you say that with me? So that you, all speech is not permissible. All speech is not permissible. Now let that kind of soak in a minute. Because I don't know where else you're hearing that. There's clearly an aspect of this command. Let me give you a few quick passages that uh, corroborate that. Uh, corroborate that. Look at Proverbs 29, verse 20. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Hear God's word here. Proverbs 29, verse 20 says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. How about that? Do you see somebody that speaks before they think? You ever in that category? You just, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. It says, pay attention to the man who speaks before thinks. There's more hope for a fool than for that person. And you don't want to be a fool. So you stay away. The, the association is don't even associate with, with the fool if the fool is one that has perverse, sinful, harmful things coming forth from his mouth. All speech is not permissible, and it will hurt you to be around foolish speech. And it's described here as just hasty, which means thoughtless. Didn't really think about that one, did you? You just said it. Pay attention. Think wisely. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 29. You, some of you know if you've been around me, this is one of my favorite verses to, to memorize and just use as an evaluation tool when it comes to what's coming out of our mouths. Ephesians 4, verse 29. says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So it gives qualifications in that verse. I mean, everything about it is qualifying our speech. Let no corrupt speech. Well, so there's corrupt and there's uncorrupting speech. You're always evaluating your words. Don't let the corrupt speech come forth. And then he defines what that is. The speech that should come forth, since it's not corrupt, should be a speech that edifies. It builds up people. So you ask, did what just came out of my mouth? Did it build people up? Third commandment, is it building God up? Or is it vain? It's, it's not building him up. Is it building up God and his church? 
Second qualification, does it fit the occasion? In other words, it could be building up, but it's just the wrong time to say it. You probably should have just held back on that because they're not ready to hear what you just said. Does it build up? Does it fit the occasion? And then this another qualification, does it give grace? Are you, again, it's kind of like the building up. Are you pushing people down in a harsh way or... Are we being tender with our words, with our speech about someone, something? I said, God said, I want you to learn to give grace to the people who are listening to you. Grace is not just something you do with your hands. It's something you do with your lips, your tongue, with your words. Then one other passage, look at James chapter 3, verse 6. James 3, verse 6. A lot of James 3 deals with sins of the tongue. I'm just, I'm just looking at one verse here, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow, that is a powerful text to think through. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I just want you to see... The power of your words. The third command is not one of those to say, oh, well, I don't ever speak anything bad, check, and just move on. What comes out of our mouths way too, too powerful to just throw this command aside and say, well, at least I've got one down. If you're like me, the third command is not easy at all. Um, it's so easy to speak haste in a hasty manner. To not think. It's so easy to not match our words to the occasion. It's so easy to not even consider how to sanctify and build up the people that we're talking to. How, I don't need to just talk. I, part of my prayer is I come in here on Sunday mornings. I prayed it this morning. Lord, I don't just need to talk. I don't just need to explain your word. How do I engage the people? How do I edify? How do I build up? Even if I know what the text says, how do I fit the occasion with the text and build up the body of Christ? That's the third commandment, not to be hasty, not to be vain in our speech, but to speak in such a manner that our God is pleased with what just came out of our mouths, because if he's not, he says, your words can, can set a fire, it's like a match, and they rub people the wrong way, and it turns in their souls, and it disrupts and divides the family of God, and would the father and head of the church be pleased with that? No, and he would see that as our not being serious with the third commandment. 
All speech is not permissible. So what's good speech? I tried to come up with some categories as we think through uh, proper speech, proper respect in what comes out of our mouth. So vain speaking, speaking poorly, improperly, is speaking of God or for God lightly and irreverently. Lightly and irreverently. Um, the word vain means empty, not significant, not necessary. Um, again, the, ver- the, ver- the verses I just used, it would be something that doesn't build, doesn't strengthen, doesn't provide, doesn't give grace. That would be vain. It's light. It's, in that sense, irreverent. Um, You've heard people use this term, Lordy, Lordy, David's 40. Yes, I am, at least. But is that a good use of Lordy, Lordy? You don't mean anything by it. There's no substance. There's no grace. There's no respect for God or Christ being Lord. It's just thrown out there. As almost as a non-word, it rhymes, but it don't mean it. Don't mean anything by it. Well, then that's irreverent. It's empty. It's vain. We use our speech that way, or "Oh Lord," or "Oh my God," or "Oh Christ." We speak that way at times. And again, we say, oh, I, you know, if, if I were to confront you or you were to confront me, you would say, oh, oh, oh I, I didn't mean anything by it. That's the point. That's the point. You didn't. It was vain. It was unnecessary. You didn't contribute to the occasion or the conversation. Or the verse I have here, Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see the difference? There the title of God, Lord, is used in a very significant way. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That pulls us into the occasion of that name. The name of Christ. When you use Christ's name or any of his titles... Are you using them in such a way as to show respect and gratitude that that's who is being spoken of and being talked about? That's what I mean here by we're speaking vainly when we speak lightly and irreverently. Um, I remember in youth ministry, uh, somebody once saying, uh, I don't remember if it was a poem or a song, but... um, God is rad. He's my dad. And I thought, what? It just doesn't seem respectful to refer to him that way. Or I don't know if you've seen this one. This blood's for you. Well, it sounds cute. But to take the significance of the blood of Christ being spilt for us and to be cute Make it like a Budweiser? No. 
that just doesn't show respect. And it's so empty. And it doesn't build up. Doesn't edify. Doesn't sanctify. It, it's just vain, you see. It's easy to speak lightly and irreverently. And it is so culturally acceptable. We cheapen God's name. I can enter into a room as a preacher, and everybody in the room doesn't know me yet. I walk in, and one of you introduce, oh, this is my pastor. And somebody will say, oh, oh, I'm good to meet you, preacher. I, excuse my French. Because up until that point, they know they have been speaking in a way that's not permissible. Excuse my French. But then a lot of times they follow it up and say, but we got to be real, right? Yeah, we can be real. But we can be real without being irreverent. You can tell it like it is. And your words can even have more meaning and more significance if you just stop and think about what you're going to say. You don't have to say it in a light in irreverent fashion. Your words don't have to be vain to be real. But that's the lie of the devil, and that's our culture, and you and I are in it. I don't know about you, but uh, I try to take time now. I've, I've eliminated my Facebook. I just don't have time. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not offended that you're on it, and I, I'm just not there with you, okay? And a lot of other accounts... Uh, I tried Twitter for a while, got rid of that too. I'm close to getting rid of Instagram. But one of the things for Instagram that I do now, try to do it at least once a week, I found out that you can hit the, you know, the more information tab, the three little dots there, and you can either unfollow. I don't know how sometimes I even ended up following. You can unfollow or you can just say, I'm not interested. And the, the little power or algorithm behind that's listening to you all the time to keep putting up different stuff for you, it will put up different stuff if you say not interested. Well, I've started just flipping through as fast as I can, you know, with my ears on, and it's, most of the things will come up with a vulgar word as one of their first words. I hit not interested, not interested, not interested, not interested. I don't want to keep feeding my mind and my heart vain speech because it changes me it changes you it makes us think it's acceptable when it's irreverent and it's offensive to God I know I would not go into God's presence saying God excuse my French I just got to keep it real that's not going to work I would go in the presence of God more along the manner, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic, how majestic, the half has not been told, how majestic is your name, we need to think about what we say, truth telling does not require us disrespect of God or the God of truth, telling it like it is does not mean we have to disrespect the God who is as it is who is the God of truth. Second principle, speaking of God or for God without his authority. So our speech is vain if we're claiming an authority 
that's really not ours to claim. And sometimes we do that. Uh, people come to me and say, well, David, God told me so. God told me to tell you this. So, well, that's interesting. I, I've been talking to God every day this week, listening to him. Why didn't he tell me? And why is what he told you different than what I'm hearing through his word? Sometimes we claim God's authority. I think God wants me to do this. Well, that's good. Well, let's evaluate. Where does the Bible tell us that God wants you to do this? Let's really think through some of our decisions and activities when we want to say, the Lord told me I need to help you. The Lord told me I need to give to you. The Lord told me I need to speak to you. The Lord told me, you know, I'm a Christian, so I just have to say this. Really? Okay. How did the Lord tell us all of these things that we come up with? As you think about God speaking to you, and I'm not saying God doesn't still speak to us in the watch nights, watchful nights as the psalmist talks about. God speaks to us even as we lie on our bed. But God is speaking to us through his word and through his spirit. And everything that, that we claim God says, it has to be found in scripture and scripture alone. This is the only written revelation we have from God um, that gives us clear direction that we know is without error or without um, fault. Look at Matthew 6. You know this. I just want you to see it. Matthew 6. Here's the Lord's Prayer. I want you to remember this phrase about speech, about our authority with God uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Now notice the first thing. What is it? Hallowed be your name. So as soon as you say, dear God, our God, not just my God, our God. The first request that God's given us in teaching us to pray is basically the third commandment. Our Father, let us not take your name in vain. Hallowed be your name. You're the authority. You're the Father. You're the sovereign over all in heaven and on earth. You should be hallowed. You should be respected. You should be revered. You should be worshipped. As we come to speak to you, let us be careful to keep it real and speak rightly. Hallowed be your name. Serious command as we think about order and reverence and authority. Um, it's a lot easier, I think, to use God's name than to revere God's name. So that makes this a, a difficulty to, to stop. Don't be hasty in speech and say, I, I don't want to just use the name. Saying, I'm a Christian, I have authority to go into the presence of God because I've been washed in the blood of Christ and I'm going to pray what I pray in the name of Jesus. Yes, you can do that and you can do that quickly. But God says, when you do that, revere my name. Hallowed be my name. When you come with the authority of Christ into the presence of Christ, come with reverence. Third principle I think we could get from the 
third commandment, speaking of God or for God without faith in Him. We've talked about this before. In every element of worship, we must mix faith with it. Or we end up going through routines and rituals that have no meaning. So then they're vain. Don't take the name of God in vain. Our speaking of God, for God, with God is vain if we do so in a manner that has no faith. We're not mixing faith. Um, do you ever pray and not really believe what you're praying? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, we do it quickly at a meal, right? You have to evaluate each time. Lord, thank you for our food. Okay, let's eat. Did you mix faith with that? Did you say, God, I do really believe. I mean, you could have said it in your heart. God, I really do believe you gave us the food. I really do believe every good and perfect gift comes down from above. I really do believe you take the food and you put it into our bodies and you nourish us. And without you being, doing something, we would all get sick and die. I really do believe that. So I really do thank you for the food. But sometimes we don't really believe, do we? We just say the words. And that's, again, that's empty to God. That person just thanked me for food, but they don't, they don't even give a rip what I'm doing with this food or what's going on here. They don't ever stop to think about it. They just have this ritual, this routine of prayer before meals without really addressing me as their father who is providing for them. It's so easy to speak in a sarcastic way or not even be attentive uh, to even sing in with no thought, with no faith mixed within it. And we don't perhaps sometimes stop to think, you know what, what I, I, just, I just broke the third commandment. I just was living in such a manner that you know, God wasn't smiling. God didn't really appreciate that. You know, when we see the kids on stage and being a grandfather, I, I just, I smile. You know, it's hard to, sometimes my jaw starts hurting. You know, it's just smiling so much. But you also know if you've got a child who's not speaking sincerely, not singing sincerely, who's about ready to chew your head off or bust their brother or sister or whatever, there's a sense in which the smile goes away. And you say, it's cute that they're up there singing, but there's a heart issue. There's something we're going to have to address. There's no faith. Mixed with it. The, the right heart, the right belief is not mixed with it. And of course, as parents and grandparents, that's, that's what we're looking for is, is that the faith is mixed with it. Um, it does matter. It's not something we just throw aside. A couple of passages. Look at 1 John 5, verse 10. 1 John 5, verse 10. says this, 
Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, so here's the faith. Do you have faith or don't have faith? He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning the Son. So, for those of you here that have never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you would probably take offense at this. So, so I say it with tenderness and gentleness, and I don't say it to give you an offense. I just say it to, to, to help you see the reality of your situation. God created you. God created all of us, created this earth that we live on. He revealed to us that we live in sin, that we are offensive to him. He gives to us Christ. He says, Christ is the provision I give to you, that if you trust Christ, anyone who believes in that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. All of that God has given you, and you say, I don't believe. God says, what? You're saying I'm a liar? You're saying this is not how it is? I didn't create you? I didn't declare your sinful state? I didn't provide for Christ? No, 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 I just choose not to believe. Well, see, that doesn't make sense. That's not logical. That's, you must believe. You, you can't be right before God unless you believe you must. You have to. Or you have to call God a liar. Say, well, no, I don't have to. It doesn't matter. God says, well, then that's calling me a liar. And we sometimes don't see, oh, what God does matters. What God says matters. And our response, what, I, what we speak back to him matters. Um, Romans 10, 14 also speaking of salvation says it this way, Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? See, faith comes first. Whoever comes to Christ must come with faith. You must believe. You can't cry out, unless you believe he is God, that he is Savior, that he does provide through Christ. So speaking to God without faith, speaking of God without faith, is always going to put you in a vain, empty place. We must be thinking, how are we mixing faith with our prayers? How are we mixing faith with what we do where we go, all that takes place in our life. Number four, speaking of God or for God without living for God. This is just plain hypocrisy, right? We are, this, this one should be easy for us. I want, you want people to do what they say and say what they do. We want them to match up. Otherwise, you know, you're a liar. It, it just becomes clear to all of us. Speak is vain that if you don't end up doing what you say or say what you do. 
our tongues and our actions need to match. We're all representatives of Christ, those of us who are believers. If we don't live it, it's hypocrisy. And people always look at us and they always evaluate. Is it true what they say? Is it true what they do? Does it match up when they speak? One of the ways we hate this uh, is this whole reputation is if we're the second born, I was the second born, my wife was the second born, you go to school, I grew up in public schools in Greenville, you go to school after the first born, right? So the first born's reputation matters, you figure that out real quick. As soon as you walk in, what's your name? Roundtree, oh, are you related? Yes. You're another Roundtree, okay. It's like, how do I get out of this? How do, how do I escape? And, and how about the two siblings coming after me? If, if our words and our actions don't match up, and if they're not reverent, it impacts the rest of your family. As believers, our families, the church, it in fact impacts the church. It impacts our reputation and impacts the ministry of Christ in the world. The third commandment deals with us speaking in such a manner that it's never empty, it's never vain, it's always respectful. It's what our God in heaven would want to hear about his children, that they actually speak in such a manner and live in such a manner they're consistent and they represent me well. That, I think, is here. Look at Proverbs thir- uh, excuse me, 3, verse 17. Proverbs, excuse me, not Proverbs. Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 17. Just quick principle that you can hang on to. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, so there's the speech and the action, doesn't matter. Whatever you do, whether you're speaking it or using your hands or feet or do it, do everything... In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, and when I say do, he's using it this way. Whatever you speak, because it's in word or in deed, whichever, the category, make sure you do it as, as unto the Lord. You would want God to be looking or listening and saying, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. Do what you do with passion for Christ. And that's pleasing. Christians should be the most passionate of people. When we get the third commandment right, in my opinion... Wherever the advertisement is for a job, if we got it right, I think we would start seeing advertisements like this. Looking for a Christian, all caps, Christian. Looking for a Christian clerk, or a Christian truck driver, or a Christian CPA, or a Christian physician, or a Christian engineer. It doesn't matter the, the profession or degree. I'm looking for a Christian. Why? Because they do everything they do as unto the Lord with passion. There's never any hypocrisy. Their word, their deeds match up and they do it as unto 
the Lord. It's never empty speech. It's never empty behavior. That's who I want working for me. Those are the people I can count on. Those are the people who will always give me a better product. Instead, at times, we see the world saying, just as long as you're not a Christian. Well, then there's been something wrong with our obedience to the third commandment, if that's your view. And to be able to present to them a much more fruitful, respectful behavior can change our, our country, our culture, just because we become the ones most sought after. We've got the same gifts and abilities in the secular world, but to have also Christ and be passionately pursuing Christ and living for Christ will always lift us beyond the rest to a consistency the world has no hope of gaining without Christ. And then the last one, number five, speaking of God or for God without considering punishment. Now, I would have, wouldn't have put this one in, but it's in the command. Look at Exodus 20 again, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then it gives this final rationale. So we've dealt with the, the vanity of it all. Now the punishment. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Wow. So, God, you're serious about this. And God says, yep, sure am. I'm keeping a tally. And it matters. And guilt's a real thing. There's times I feel guilty, you feel guilty. Let me give you a few passages. Look at Leviticus 24. Here's, I'm giving you this as an example of someone who blasphemed, who took the name of God in vain. Exodus, excuse me, Leviticus 24, 10. Leviticus 24, 10. I'll read the story. It says, Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son, doesn't tell us how old he is, but he's still classified as a son of two parents, and a man of Israel, they fought in the camp. So he's old enough to fight uh, another man. And the Israelite's woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Pretty common when you're fighting, right? To just let it fly with your words as well. Well, that's, that's what was happening. The Israelite's woman, so she, he would have known the commands. He's, an, he's, a, he's a Jew, he's an Israelite. He's in this covenant community. So then they brought him to Moses, because everybody knew that what he just did was wrong. So didn't say his fighting was wrong, but his cursing was wrong. They brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shalomoth, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring out. So this is not just Moses' decision. It's clearly God speaking through Moses. Bring out of the camp the one who cursed. And let all who heard him lay their hands on his head. And let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his gods shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. And the sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. 
So, a serious offense to God, cursing Him, treating His name improperly. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20. 1 Timothy 1, verse 20. Here we have, um, um, uh, I'll skip back to verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some, just going to mention a couple here, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Interesting passage, isn't it? So in the Old Testament, they stoned people because it was a civil church at the time. The church had authority to act um, and to carry out civil laws. Now we're under a civil government, but the church's only authority is ecclesiastical authority. So in this case, in the New Testament era where this, the authority is ecclesiastical, two men are known for cursing, blasphemy, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Paul says, so what we're doing with these two guys is we're going to hand them over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. In other words, you speak like the devil, we're going to let you live with the devil for a while. Whoa. You speak like him? You speak against God? Whether you were fighting or not, doesn't matter. How about you just go live with him for a while and see how that works out? And to, to turn over your fellowship to hanging out with Satan, that's, that's not going to end well. And that's the whole point. Maybe you'll learn that's not who you want to serve. That's not how you want to speak. But again, reminds us how important our speech really should be. Um, you know... A lot of this third command, you, you look at it and say, well, and I'm giving you four more passages. Let me just run through those real quick. Um, but as I ask myself, God, this is, it's, it's okay for it to be your preference. I get that. Because God's, I should bow to his preference. It, it just seems moral that I need to do something a certain way because it pleases God. I get that. And that should be enough for me, and I should submit. But I don't know if you are like me. I, I'm still wrestling. But I, God said, so why is this so important? I mean, you're turning people over to Satan. You're stoning them. Can't we, can't we just sometimes overlook this and, and, and move past it? And as I, as I struggle and ask that question, the answer that God gives to me, I think, through these last four passages is, well, because the name has to be protected. The name has to be revered. We can't tweak it. We can't play with it. The, the name of God, whether you use it in, by your actions or through your tongue. Um, so Acts 4, verse 12, there's salvation in what? No other name. This name matters and needs to be protected because there's, no, there's salvation in no other name. And people need to know, you stop at this name and you bow down 
and you have reverence, you have respect. Because there's, there would be no salvation without it. Romans 10, 13, whoever will call upon what? The name will be saved. This name matters greatly for us as well as for God's plan of saving the world in the Philippians 2.9 passage that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of the name of God. This name must be exalted. It must be revered. Or the plan of God doesn't work. So then it becomes, you see, not only a very serious command, but one I must keep. Not just to please my God. Everything hangs on it. That there is one place I can go, one name I can turn to for salvation and life. And that's the name of God. There's no other name that must be respected and revered like this, command, this, this name. Let's pray together. Father, as, as we think about the third commandment this morning, it's so easy for us to want to check this one off instead of really evaluate. And I just ask that you would impress upon us by your Spirit where we have, we've taken this much too lightly and we've skipped over it and really not put it on our refrigerator or on the fronts of our heads or on our hearts. The importance of speaking and living in a holy and reverent manner before you and for you. Father, forgive us of our sins. Help us to see, even as James says, that a man who doesn't bridle his tongue, his religion is worthless. It's vain. It's empty. And Lord, there's been so many times that just I've, I've not reined in my tongue. Lord, we all confess there's been times we have not reined it in. We've just let it out. We ask that you would have mercy, that you would forgive, that you would cleanse, that we would see the power of the tongue, and that we would speak sweetly and tenderly to one another, and especially to you, that we would not be hasty in speech, but we would be those who declare every morning, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We give you praise. Father, if there are those here this morning that have never trusted in the name of Christ or called out to the name of Christ to be redeemed from sin and chosen by you, we ask that you would grant them that ability now that they might be with us both here and in glory forever. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.